You have to acknowledge what it is that the market wants. You have to acknowledge what it is that other people in the market are already doing. You have to acknowledge what your assets are. And then from those assets, you have to then go through a very creative exercise to explore how you could position your assets. Through that, you kind of land on something distinguished. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My special guest today is Boris Epstein. Boris is the founder and CEO of Bink, the technology industry's dedicated, flexible recruiting team. Bink has grown to 150 people and won Best Workplace Awards two years in a row. Their clients include PayPal, Tesla, Airbnb, Pinterest, Dropbox, to name just a few. And part of their vision is a world where recruiting is elevated from job filler to trusted strategic partner and seen as a profession of choice, able to attract the best and brightest in our industry. You can find out more about them at www.binksearch.com. That's spelled B-I-N-C. So today we're going to talk about growing a successful recruiting company, including the importance of company culture. We're going to talk about recruiting service differentiation, value proposition development, and unique recruiting models. So I'm super excited. Boris, welcome. Thanks for doing this today. Hi, Mark. Yeah, great uh, great to meet you and excited to, to be here and you know share. All right. Fantastic. So by the way, this is going out just before the July 4th weekend. So happy Independence Day. Thank you. Yeah. Happy, uh, happy Independence Day to you, uh, everyone, <laughs> everyone listening. Awesome. All right. So you were referred to me by our mutual friend, Rich uh, Rosen. Understand you're part of the Pinnacle Society as well. Um, how long have you been involved with uh, that organization? Yeah. Um, Rich, a great, great friend and colleague. Um, I've been in Pinnacle for since five years into my recruiting career. I'm going on 18 uh, right now. So um, 13, 12, 13 years ago. Um, and it's been an incredible experience. Uh, Pinnacle made up of top billers, uh, uh, top billing recruiters from around the country. And it's an incredible place to, to learn and uh, develop and share uh, and um, you know, interact with uh, like, like-minded um, uh, recruiters like Rich and others. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Rich is a great guy. We had a really fun conversation. What's interesting is he's a huge proponent of old school outbound telephone marketing to build a client base and keep in regular contact with uh, with your clients. And you said to me that a lot of your clients come from inbound marketing. Um, what sort of inbound marketing do you guys have in place? So the, the way the way that our service model is set up, I'll, I'll, I'll share with our service model and then and then uh, it'll, it'll connect to what our lead gen looks like. Um, our service model is set up such that when a company, when a technology company that's growing um, needs to hire and doesn't have the internal team or has some gap uh, between whatever their internal recruiting team can do and whatever their total hiring demand looks like, they'll bring in a, a, a bank, a team, uh, a, a team or you know, a, a, a recruiting individual from, from us. Um, we'll assign those individuals to operate in a fully dedicated fashion. Uh, to that company, they'll operate under the umbrella brand of that company. So uh, they're engaging with the internal team uh, and with candidates uh, under the brand of the company. So as if, as if it's, they're an extended member of the team. Because of that, uh, we become very uh, like intimately connected uh, to the individuals that that work there. Whether it's the internal recruiters, the internal recruiting leaders, the interviewing team, uh, the um, uh, uh, any any parties related to that company that have a vested interest in recruiting, like 
board members, uh, venture capitalists. Um, and because of our uh, 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 high likelihood and high degree of uh, previous success, uh, it's common for our name to be associated with success in recruiting. Um, so that multiplied times what we've been running at for the last uh, three, four years, 30 companies at a time in perpetuity, um, has developed this reputation where uh, Bink has become associated with uh, you know, um, effective internal, uh, effective embedded recruiting, quality team members, likelihood of success, you know, very solution oriented. Um, and so what I just described um, matches with the value proposition that's represented on our website. It matches with how we engage with with uh, new clients, prospective clients, past clients. So um, we've 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 done a good job at at uh, defining what our value proposition is, um, distinguishing it in a very in a very clear and legible and consistent fashion from website. Uh, you know how how our team members describe it, et cetera. Um, and then because of that embedded service model. Um, the relationships that we that that that, that we develop um, convert into a new lead gen as either that company needs more help or in our industry tenure is really low so it's common like the, I think the average tenure in the I think the average tenure in the technology industry now is like a year and a half or something like that which means the relationships that we're developing spawn out into new companies and so establish a relationship with X person that person moves on to to new company new company has a recruiting challenge, that person knows to reach out to Bink. And so through that cumulative effort, um, Bink uh, uh, is, is the you know, very, very you know, beneficial and appreciative recipient of uh, inbound uh, lead generation um, whenever that use case exists uh, at, a, at, a, at a prospective company. Got it. So it's more positive word of mouth than an actual inbound lead gen, you know, strategy like you know pay-per-click advertising or 100%. you know social media or whatever okay 100%. i get it i yeah. get it okay cool so you you have offices in palo alto los angeles san francisco new york las vegas austin um and and i think a couple other places how how are your team distributed and wh- what percentage of them are sitting in your offices versus sitting in your client's office yeah, good, good question. So all those locations are places where uh, uh, we, where, 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 where Binkers, uh, our team members, uh, live and reside. Um, we actually, as of today, present day, uh, and, and not, not, not too long ago, we have uh, uh, zero physical offices. So we, uh-huh. we, 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 we relieved ourselves. And I mean, not surprising, uh, given all going on in the, in the, in the world of COVID, uh, we, we, we relieved ourselves of any uh, shared uh, workspace. We had shared space in... Uh, Vegas, Austin, New York, uh, a couple in the Bay Area. Uh, we relieved ourselves of of all of those commitments, and we had uh, one large uh, local office in in Los Angeles where we had about forty or fifty people working out of there. We've uh, we're in the process of relieving ourselves of that. Our, our lease is up at the end of the month, um, so by the end of the month, we'll be one hundred percent fully distributed uh, with no physical uh, footprint for for an office. I believe. Last I checked, we we had binkers in eleven states. Uh, couldn't, wow. name, couldn't name all the cities, um, and then a fair amount of fluidity in terms of people uh, moving from city to city or or uh, considering to move from city to city. Um, mm. Pre COVID, I would say probably like you know in the high twenties percent of people were mm. working on site at our at our client cool. offices. So we have a model where if some if, if whoever it is that we assign. Uh, to a client happens to be local to that client company, then then they'll um, 
they'll go work on site at the company just like any of the other team members uh, would. Uh, right, right now, everyone, however, is, is is distributed with no real line of sight to when um, working in office uh, is going to be required or, uh, or or will even be a consideration. Yeah, well, no kidding. I mean, that's we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into the you know the whole pandemic and then what the next normal looks like uh, for you guys. But so setting that to one side, ordinarily, how does your service model actually work in practice? I, I mean, it sounds really cool, but I don't really understand what that would involve. Yeah. So the way the service model works, let's say um, technology company needs to hire a hundred people over a one year period. Let's say they have an internal team that's able to deliver 50 of those hires. Um, what the company would do is engage with Bink uh, for the remaining uh, 50 hires. Um, and so in engaging with Bink, uh, Bink, let's say, would, would dedicate, you know, two or three uh, fully dedicated uh, either recruiters or a combination of recruiter sourcers uh, to, to work with that company, let's say, for a six-month period uh, to fulfill on whatever whatever that, that, that hiring target uh, ended up looking like. If not the full 50, then maybe 20 or 30 or some, some segment of that. Um, we would fully assign our team members. Uh, the, the service model, the, the way the cost works is um, they would pay us per resource assigned per month. Uh, it would be a flat, fixed monthly cost uh, for that period of time. Uh, we would commit to like a six-month period or, or something like that. And then uh, their, their, the company's commitment to us, again, would be that flat monthly fee uh, per month worked. And our commitment to them would be the fully dedicated individual uh, for, that, uh, for that respective length of time. Um, once our individual is operating under the brand and fully dedicated to the company, then they do all the same things that a, a recruiter or sourcer would do. They would engage with the hiring leaders, understand what the roles are, understand what the value prop of the company is, value prop of the role, target demographic of the role. Uh, then they would go take all that information, uh, go start market mapping, uh, developing uh, short lists of target candidates, develop the value proposition, go engage those candidates, manage those candidates through the full life cycle introduce them to the company, uh, help arrange all the interviews, uh, help negotiate uh, offers, close, and they would do that times the, the, the number of hires that they were required to make. Um, so that's how the service model works, and that's how the recruiters uh, interact uh, and, and engage with these respective companies. All right, awesome. Wow, I can see how you get really close, you know, with your clients. Um, so do you have separate team members at Bank who are responsible for kind of client development and, and uh, account management or business development, that, those sorts of activities? Uh, no. All, so all of our recruiters are dedicated to clients. Uh, we have a okay. uh, partner level uh, individual, uh, partner yeah. level individuals or execs uh, who are uh, primarily responsible for uh, account management uh, at the executive level, um, team team member accountability and and, and delivery responsibility, um, and then and then they're responsible for uh, business development uh, activities as any uh, lead gen comes through or in the engaging interacting with their respective network to to, to, to nurture uh, and convert it to new business. Got it. Okay, that sounds cool. So. I guess my biggest question then, based on what you've shared so far, Boris, is. You know, I know that you guys pride yourselves on company culture. How do you create a cohesive culture if everyone's distributed? Yeah, that's a good question, uh, and it's not an easy or insignificant thing to do. We put a lot of put a lot of effort into it. Um, 
So in, in creating a company culture, uh, key criteria in, in doing that is, uh, one, it's important to have a really clear uh, mission uh, and, and, and vision for the company. So everyone has to be marching towards, uh, towards a comparable uh, beat. It's important for there to be a consistent set of uh, values uh, that the company um, has defined uh, as, 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 as authentic and uh, take steps in, in living uh, those those values. Uh, there, there, there are many companies that have mission and values written on their website. A lot of companies don't have a mission and values at all. Some next set of companies have a mission values that are written on their website. But when you go and actually interact with a company, you see that um, those the, the mission and values aren't actually lived. Um, the companies that are, are able to uh, operate in a strong cohesive uh, within a strong cohesive culture. Uh, uh, take steps to proactively live their mission and values in a visible fashion. Um, and that's what bonds the, 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 the group together. Um, then from there, uh, there, there, there are a number of uh, like very you know, tactical things uh, around um, you know, promoting communication, uh, creating a really nice uh, uh, team you know, engagement um, and, and connection rhythm so that people always feel uh, some connection to, the, to, their, to their team, to their you know larger organization, to their to their company, um, and then doing that with like-minded folks, uh, all in service of a common of a common mission, uh, is is what creates that creates that company culture. All right, cool, fantastic. Yeah, I totally agree with what you said about values and mission and vision. Um, and so, question for our listeners is. You know, to be honest with yourself, if you're a business owner and ask, number one, do we have a clear vision, mission, you know, purpose and clear values? Um, Are the values still relevant and were the current team involved in some way, shape or form in, in, you know, that thought process? Or are they just sort of, here's our values and you're like, you know, uh, pushing those. But uh, most importantly, if you do have, you know, clear values that you feel are a true reflection of what your culture is all about. Do the team actually know what they are? If you went out onto the sales floor and asked, you know, asked your team, do you, do you know what our values are? How many would be able to answer? Yeah. Um, values are, values are really big. We, we, we went through the exercise a few years ago to, uh, to define our values. It took quite a bit of time. It took almost, almost nine months, uh, to define okay. our values, the right, the right words, the right, the right level of resonant, uh, um, uh, um, resonance. Um, then once you define your values, then it's, uh, what are the ways we could make these values visible, uh, within, you know, insert all parts of your company. How, how are our values visible in business development or lack thereof? How are our values visible in our review and promotion cycle? How are our values visible in our client engagements? And once you go through that exercise, uh, you could very clearly see, Oh, this value is very visible here. This value is very not visible here. Okay, well, what steps could we take to raise the visibility of our value in this area? And then you engage with the team. You start to take steps towards that, and you find yourself, you know, day in and day out, living your values. You 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 engage with them. It's not a matter of it's not a matter of being you know perfect with your values. You can't you can't say that I'm I'm at a hundred percent respect day in and day out because say, oh, okay, I miss an opportunity to uh, look at this through the lens of respect. How might this situation look if I did look at it through the lens of respect? Oh, okay, this this it, it helps uh, you know clarify a path forward. Okay, great. Let's now move forward. Or how would this situation look through the lens of we culture, which is like our our, our word for team? 
oh, okay, you know, if I look to this situation through the lens of we culture, then I might go about it in X, Y, Z way. Okay, that sounds like a great path forward. And so those are examples of ways to of ways that an organization can can live live their values. I love it. That makes total sense. Tell me, could you give me an example of like how you would make the values visible in a performance review and promotion setting? Yeah, um, I think in a in a in a promotion review uh, in a promotion or or a review setting, there's um, a couple of different constituents. There's the there's the person who's delivering the review, um, and let's let, let's just take the value of respect. It's important that. Uh, um, the person delivers the review through the lens of, of respect for the individual, respect for the process, respect for, uh, for, for all peers of team members. Um, there's the constituent of the person receiving uh, the review. It's important for that person to receive the review through the lens of respect for the work that they've completed, respect for the, uh, for the, for the, for the uh, 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 equity of the experience. Um, and then the, the, the third constituent might be the organization or, or, or all other team members that are not sitting in that review period. And so mindfulness of those three constituents through the lens of that, of that value um, might be how uh, might, might be a way to make that value visible in that respective uh, situation. It's almost like making it top of mind uh, and then delivering the experience through that, through that respective lens. I get it. So it's not so much that respect is something that you're going to measure them on in the evaluation. It's more that the way that the evaluation is conducted is consistent with the value of respect. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I get your question. How, uh, how, how might a team member be measured on their, uh, on their values alignment? So the, sure. yeah, the way that we've set that up is, um, so we expect all team members to uh, align uh, with our values, uh, the most junior uh, team members are expected to uh, develop awareness. So can you see these values? Maybe you're not quite ready to fully embody them, but can you at least take steps to begin to see them in different parts of our organization? Uh, next level up is expected to uh, live in accordance with the values. And then, and then as people move into senior ranks, they're expected to uh, mentor and guide others in living the values. And then, and then our, our management and leadership are expected to um, hold uh, uh, their team accountable uh, to the living of the values. That, that's that's how we infuse uh, uh, values uh, in performance reviews in accordance with different people's uh, levels. Cool. All right, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So um, we've talked a little bit about culture and and how critical values are to. Um, creating a, a, a consistent culture, even though people may not be in the same office or even, you know, they may be on site with a client. Um, one of the challenges I can see with having a distributed workforce, and I think this is going to become more and more normal, right? And more companies are going to go this way uh, after, you know, the the pandemic, even when they're allowed to go back to the office. I think there may be a preference for a lot of people to continue working this way from the company's point of view to reduce the, you know, fixed overheads and from the employee's point of view to have more balance and less time commuting and so on. Um, but one of the aspects that makes that, that I think is difficult is, well, two things. Number one, how do you train new people without them sitting alongside more experienced team members and kind of absorbing that knowledge and those skills uh, outside of the classroom on a day-to-day basis. Um, and number two, can you really create the same level of camaraderie when you're not like 
socializing, you're not spending like eight, 10 hours with someone every day. Do you have that same, you know, cohesiveness? What are your thoughts on those two points? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, you know, shifting to a remote and distributed culture is definitely paradigm shifting from those mm. who are, who associate normal or uh, effective with in office. Um, I think yeah. COVID has helped us uh, to, um, COVID has helped um, the, 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 those folks who are used to in office see what the world of possibility looks like in a distributed fashion because COVID has given people no choice but to find effectiveness in, 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 in that regard. So it's almost kind of expedited the path to that. Um, as it relates to the two questions that, that, that you asked, so like, how do you, how do you train and develop people? So um, I'll, I'll share with you the, I'll share with you like how, how, how we do it. Um, and then there's a version of this for near anything you could imagine having a level of effectiveness in office uh, and, and, and a distributed version, but the, the, the training team members. So, um, we shifted to a model where we went from local training. We used to like fly anyone who we hired into uh, um, a physical location and train them all physically. Cause that's what we associated with like, you know, being, being most effective. Uh, then uh, we realized that um, we could be equally effective uh, training people in a, in a virtual uh, or distributed uh, capacity. Um, so then we shifted over to completely distributed uh, where even if people, even if two or three people were in a local situation, they were equally given, you know, screens and and re the recipients of materials uh, in a virtual capacity. They would like sit in different rooms, basically. Uh, but even if they were in the same building, um, once the classroom style training is is, is completed, um, then the team members are assigned to project. And, and commonly, the way that that they then uh, get their learning and development is through um, either shadowing or or being reverse uh, shadowed. Uh, in their in their interactions, um, so if it's like a recruiter screen or something like that, uh, they would shadow a handful of individuals doing recruiter screens, uh, and they would therefore get the same experience that they might get sitting in an open office listening to multiple people do a recruiter screen. Um, once it's once that uh, they've done a certain amount of shadowing, then they're ready to go do a recruiter screen, and someone would shadow them. Uh, a multitude of times, uh, and then they would receive feedback through that experience. Then they would be off to the races on the recruiter screen stage. Um, we're very data driven. Uh, and so we could tell through data without having even met a person, what their effectiveness is looking like. So we know mm. what our standard metrics are supposed to look like around recruiter screen effectiveness. And so we know, uh, after the training, uh, if, if an individual is effective in their recruiter screens and then, then, then they'll convert, uh, at or above uh, par. If their uh, recruiter screens are converting well below or below par, then that tells us there's a problem in there, and we don't need to physically see somebody uh, in order to in order to know that. Um, so that's an example on the on the on the training front. That's awesome. Now, when you say shadowing, do you mean they're listening into calls essentially? Yeah, and then yeah. vice versa. If we were training someone to, to 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 do podcast interviews, we'd have them just sit in on this call and do nothing but listen, right. and then. When yes. it was time, we'd have them, we'd have them do the interview with you listening to them. Uh, right. and, then, and then once the group feels comfortable, we'd let them off, off, off on their own. Got it. All right. Okay, cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I love the fact that you're so analytical with the, with the metrics. I'm a huge believer in that. Um, do you, do you, have, do you use any particular software for, you know, uh, measuring, you know, tracking that sort of stuff? 
Yeah, we track all of our recruiting activity in a, in a system called Monday, uh, monday.com. Oh, yes. Yeah, if you're yeah. familiar with it. Um, it's like a productivity uh, tool. Um, yeah. And then all of that data gets sucked into a Redshift database, uh, like a large database. And then um, that gets, um, there's a layer on top of that uh, system called Looker, uh, which is an, an analytics okay. uh, tool. And then we use Looker uh, to um, look at all of our data uh, at the recruiter level, at the job level, at the project level, and then at the total total organization level. Wow, that's awesome. Okay, thanks for sharing that. So what about the camaraderie aspect? Like you're not going for uh, a beer on a Friday night. You're not sort of like chatting over, you know, at the microwave or at lunchtime or, you know, that sort of thing. So what, if anything, have you put in place to sort of replace that part of the experience of of going to a job? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the primary tool that our, that our team uses to interact and communicate with each other is uh, Slack. Um, oh yeah. And so I with, use that as well. Yeah. And so with, with Slack, um, people are able to communicate, interact uh, with each other, regardless of location across uh, a, a, a wide range of different, uh, you know, Slack calls and channels of so channels or really interests. And so, um, you could have, you know, four people in a channel on the same project and they're interacting with each other about, you know, hiring manager stuff and recruiting stuff and conversions and all this stuff. Then you have the next channel over, which is a multi-project team. So you have like three, like, like three projects all together, all roll up to a, to a manager. They're interacting with each other at that, at that, you know, uh, multi-project uh, team level. Um, then you have like all company channels on a wide variety of topics, whether it's, you know, sports or music, or, uh, we have, we have a channel dedicated just to like, you know, immigration because, you know, we deal in the tech industry and there's all sorts of, you know, nuance, uh, regarding immigration, or we have like a news channel. I mean, all sorts of, all sorts of different stuff. Um, so people mm-hmm. are primarily, people are getting a, a big, uh, a big component of what they would normally get in a physical office uh, via Slack. And it's actually more powerful because in a physical office, your interactions are limited to who you kind of happen to come across with, who your little kind of like, who your, who, who your, who your, you know, physical click might be. Um, and, and you would miss out on the opportunity to interact with people in different locations. You'd start to develop kind of like local, like local cultures that maybe are perhaps disparate from the broader culture. Mm-hmm. In this case, we operate, uh, we're, we're, we're able to operate in, a, in, in, in more of a, a singular overall culture. Um, and so people in LA can interact with people from North Carolina, can interact with people from Vegas in a similar topic. And so it, it, it actually creates a more powerful opportunity uh, to interact with that regard. Um, as far as the physical, we, we, we noticed that maybe it's just our company, but we didn't fit as much of the kind of like, you know, go out and get a beer after work type of type of a culture. We, we, we have a pretty diverse culture. So for equal number of people that like to go drink after work, with equal number of people that like to go hit the gym. And so um, equal number of people that like to start the day early, start the day late. And so um, uh, uh, Slack works really well from us from, 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 from that regard. And then people in local people who live local uh, to each other are able to, you know, develop and, and, and maintain local relationships just as, as, as they normally would in, in, in life. Awesome. Yeah, that, I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks, 
But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. I'd love to hear the story, obviously the, the shorter version of, you know, startup to getting to 150 people because very few recruiting firms get to that sort of, you know, critical mass. Yeah. Um, you know, they tend to, you know, the vast majority are sort of solo practitioners, like someone like Rich Rosen, for example. And then, you know, among firms, they might get builder practice to, you know, five, 10, you know, 12 individuals, and they kind of like stay at that sort of size. Um, and you guys made a decision. You definitely wanted to scale and create something, you know, that was much bigger than, than the, uh, the individual leaders. Yeah. Um, could you tell me a little bit about the the highlights of that journey? Yeah, sure. There were, there were really, you know, two, two main parts. So se- seven years into our 18 year existence, um, we made the shift uh, to what we refer to as a, as a hybrid uh, recruiting solution, um, took on a business partner. Uh, my background is all on the agency side. His background was all on the internal recruiting side. Uh, and so we, we, we brought together what, what, what we defined as the best of both worlds uh, to give uh, our, our clients a third option uh, to what we consider to be you know, two suboptimal options as it relates to their ability to deliver on a, on a, on a total company's hiring need. Um, so in that hybrid solution, in that hybrid experience, we operate under the brand of our companies and we were, we were considered like the SWAT team, like the, the go-to solution for high growth technology companies to deliver on unexpected, uh, unnatural hiring goals. And we did a really good job at that. We did that for, for a, for a seven year period. Um, uh, four year, five year, four years ago, uh, we shifted that hybrid model to what we referred to back then as flex. Uh, we basically saw a world where every technology company uh, is hiring, uh, but their pace of hiring was 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 uh, was unique to them uh, and uh, slightly at a, a, a um, different pace than any other company, any other technology company was hiring, which meant that what they needed of a recruiting solution was slightly different than 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 what their you know than, than what the next company needed and what the next company needed. So we shifted our service model to what I described us doing right now. Uh, we basically realized that if we could build up as valuable of a recruiting collective as possible, team members who operate under a common culture, values-driven, uh, and very good at, at, at their specific part of growing a technology company, um, and if we could make our service model such that uh, these individuals could be made available and assignable to growing technology companies um, there, where, where their background matches the exact need of the hiring company, um, then that's a model that has legs and, and can scale. Um, and so we conceptualized this. We uh, we um, uh, 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 prototype tested it in the market by saying, okay, let's see if we can get 50% of our business over to 
you know, adapting the service model in a three-month period, we ended up getting 100% of our business uh, in two months. So the market ate it up, basically. And that's what gave us the confidence to grow and develop this. This was uh, June, like June, mid-year 2016. We were at like 30, 35 people or something like that. Um, and then from mid-2016 up until the end of last year, uh, we set a goal to grow at 50% year over year. And we set that goal and we achieved that goal up until the end of last year. So we grew from like 40 to about 150 people uh, over that three and a half year year period. Um, wow. This was through 220. Now, of course, you know, 220 had different plans for us. And so we are, we are, we are no longer uh, that size. Uh, and we are in the process of re, redefining and, uh, you know, re, refiguring out what our future uh, looks like. But that was what that, you know, three and a half year journey uh, looked like for us. All right. Awesome. I'd love to hear about your future plans. But first, like, I don't think I've ever heard of a company going from 40 to 150 in four years. Um, I worked with a business over here in Europe who went from, who did it in probably, you know, seven to 10 years. Um, that's like, how did you deal with that level of growth? Cause that creates a lot of headaches, right. In terms of systems process, you know, all, all of the stuff that you have to figure out, how did you manage that growth? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, so I think part, part of it had to do with the, the service model. So service model and applicability of service model. So product market fit, we, 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 um, uh, we, we, we nailed that, uh, in, in mid 2016. So that contributed a ton from, to the growth from a market right. perspective, from an internal perspective, we organized, uh, into what we refer to as units. So we had units that were led by, uh, executive level, uh, recruiting individuals, um, that uh, had the capacity and capability and, and, and you know, market, uh, mar- market capability uh, to, to manage that shape or size of units. So you could picture 40 people divided by three, uh, and that was what each unit uh, was, was uh, required to, to develop and, and, and grow. Um, and then somewhere in the early to mid part of that, maybe like 17 or 18 or something like that, we realized that um, in order to be able to... Uh, uh, break through any growth, um, you know, ceilings that we had, we need to develop next levels of, of leadership. So we put a ton of emphasis into internal development, uh, leadership development, uh, developing our, um, you know, next class of leads and then, and then managers, um, that helped us, uh, achieve a certain level of growth. And then we went out in order to achieve an even next level of growth. Uh, we hired, a chief people officer who came in and, and did an incredible job for us. Uh, we went out and hired more external uh, managers. Um, every manager that we that we employed was able to extend the capacity of number of projects and number of people that we were that we were able to employ. Um, we grew our internal people operations team at at, at our height uh, beginning of this year. Late last year, we had. Uh, a learning and development department. We had a data team. We had a, a, a multi-person internal recruiting team. We had a chief people officer. We had HR. We had diversity and inclusion uh, a team members. So uh, quite a bit from an organizational uh, perspective to provide support uh, and um, uh, infrastructure for, for our team. Um, another thing I'd say that, that, was, that was a contributor, we, we, um, we front-loaded our organizational uh, needs for whatever it is that we anticipated uh, growing is part of part of the challenge that we experienced 
2020. Um, but we, um, we built our organizational capacity for 2020 in the back half of 2019, as an example. So right. um, we, we, we did that in order to provide more sustainable and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, positive experience for our team while we experience this, this respective level of growth. Of course, the downside of that is when the market changes, then, you, then, then uh, uh, you, you, you in hindsight grew, grew too fast or grew in an unsustainable fashion. Uh, which is what we uh, did learn in uh, late last year and early this year. Yeah, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, you you might be interested in an interview I did with uh, an entrepreneur in Australia called Sean McCambridge. He's grown to a similar sort of size firm as as you guys uh, over in that part of the world. And he was talking about the importance of leadership development being key because you're company can only grow to the level of the leadership that yeah. you have in the, in the business. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys have really spent a lot of time and effort and focus on that. So talk to me about how the world's changed for you guys and what adjustments have you had to make in, in your vision and your strategy? Yeah. Good question. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you what's happening right now and I'll, it, it'll probably be different in, in a little bit. Um, but as far as what we saw of the world uh, changing, um, we started to see some bumpiness in the market uh, late last year and early this year. This is before anything COVID related uh, took place. Um, it's possible that our, our market, at least specifically the, the, the technology market, was a little, a little overgrown. Uh, a specific example in our market was related to a company called WeWork. Uh, which was which, which which was hit with some some over over overvaluation uh, challenges, yes. and that sent a little bit of a, a of a shock and some fear into our respective market. That 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 it that that you know the market was respectively working working through uh, late last year, early this year, and then and then COVID hit, and and from from our lens, COVID hit in a uh, in a in a in a slow in a slow creep. Uh, and then, and then, and then, you know, and then, and then it seemed to have uh, magnified in a very uh, accelerated uh, rate. Um, in our world, two things happened as it relates to COVID because we're not on the front. Our, our the technology market, I recruit for, you know, the, uh, high growth technology companies. So companies that uh, people tend to interact with in a not physical fashion. So we didn't get hit the way the airline industry got hit or the hotel industry got hit or retail or anything like that. Um, so two, two things happened to our space. One, everyone was required to go remote. Uh, our market was for the most part, uh, able to do that. Uh, you know, some companies did it, you know, faster and easier than, than others, but everyone got there relatively unscathed. So I wouldn't put too much on the remote piece, um, impacting our, our, our market or world. The second piece was the biggest impactor. And that was the, the fear, uh, that was infused in our market, uh, primarily from, um, venture capital community, uh, the uh, uh, organizational leaders around um, the, the the how long to prepare for in the event that COVID is you know X Y Z insert insert kind of you know fear fear story here, um, and that compelled uh, a majority of our market to hit the sidelines uh, and and bunker down for you know for for whatever it is that they kind of foresaw as their respective future. Uh, there was a small percentage of companies that uh, continued to hire very aggressively, continued to grow very aggressively because of um, uh, increased demand. And, and those are the companies that 
you know, me and you and the whole world continue to rely on during this COVID experience. So companies like Zoom and food delivery services and education services and gaming media companies, all these companies that we all continue to use that much more uh, during our remote world. So uh, we were very fortunate to continue to service those respective uh, companies, but then all the companies that bunkered down, uh, we saw a, a sizable slide in our business in the month of, of March. Um, we, we retained about 40 to 50% of our business. Uh, and then we saw a floor develop in April and, and, and May. It was a, it was a slightly downward tilting floor, basically, that, that, that we saw develop in uh, April and, uh, and, and, and May. Um, we're hoping to be finding that footing now in, in June, but it's still early to, early to tell. Um, our business has reduced in size from, I think we started the year 157 people. Um, we, we're right around 100 people uh, right, right now. Um, and... We're, we're doing our best to provide, you know, the level of employment that we, that we can, the level of experience that we can, uh, for our team. Um, but there's a big difference between what I would like to be providing from, a from, a you know, from, a, from, a em- employment responsibility and employment expectations, uh, perspective and what we are able to provide, uh, just given, uh, given, um, uh, the uncertain, unstable, uh, and, and unreliable nature of the you know, market and world that we, that we respectively live in. Mm-hmm. That's a really detailed description. I appreciate that. Like of sort of month by month, what, what you could see happening. Um, and I think a lot of people that will totally, um, resonate for, you've really put a lot of thought into understanding what's happening so that you can respond to it. Um, how did you, how, how have you managed sort of, um, you know, since culture is key for, for your business, how have you managed kind of engagement and morale among the hundred people that you still have in place and we want to retain them? We want them to, you know, uh, as, as the market, as the demand increases to, for them to be effective and, and, and perform, you know, again, um, how, do you, how do you deal with that issue when people are really feeling kind of under stress? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, and I will say, uh, I just remember that this, this podcast will be broadcast 4th of July. So by, by the by 4th of July, and we've this already been communicated to our company, um, we'll have uh, just completed a, a reduction in force. Uh, that's already been communicated uh, to our to our team and, and, and company and those affected we will be closer to the 50 or 60 person uh, mark uh, by, okay. by then. Okay. So that means a two third, two third slide uh, in, ter- in company size from beginning of the year uh, to, to present, present date over half year, half year period. Um, how we maintained our culture. Uh, if you ask different people at our company, you'll probably get different answers. Some will say they did a, they did a poor job. They haven't, uh, they, um, uh, all, all of the many things that, that, that we've come to love about this company over the years, uh, uh, don't exist or are different or, you know, in, 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 in insert kind of the, the, the what's missing, you know, language there. Um, one of the things that we've, that we have done, uh, over this period of time is, um, we went from, we went from meeting with our team and company at a, at a company level, uh, quarterly, uh, because, you know, when, when, when we're going through, you know, year after year of predictable, sustainable growth, um, reporting on that growth 
from a company perspective becomes same old, same old. And so uh, you, you, from a company leadership perspective, you go from meeting weekly to meeting monthly uh, to getting feedback that says, hey, do we need to do this every month? Can we, can we just like meet quarterly? Like you tell us the same stuff. So we went from meeting quarterly during this high growth period uh, to a culture in the beginning of the year where things were changing fast, but we didn't have a setup. We didn't, we didn't have like a, a, a place to communicate that level of transparency, that level of openness with our company. So we immediately in, in mid-March shifted to weekly. Uh, weekly, uh, we refer to as all hands. So like every week we get together and we talk about whatever it is that happened that week, good, bad, or ugly. Most of it is, you know, a little bit of good, uh, mostly bad. And then, and then, and then, you know, some, some, some version of either celebrating or, or, or acknowledging or whatever it is that we, that we can. Um, but we've been doing that weekly since mid-March and that's come to be something that the company can, can, can rely on and, and uh, know as a place they could, you know, expect to see the whole company together, expect to see, you know, uh, leadership talk about, whatever it is that has happened that week. So that's, that, that, that's become a part of our culture. Um, we instituted because it's, everyone works from home. It's difficult for us to, uh, uh, to extend, you know, PTO at an extended basis. Cause people aren't really, you know, one, people aren't really trying to go on extended vacations and two, uh, we're, we're, we're hyper-focused on delivering for, for our clients or, or respective roles. We instituted a mandatory, uh, two days of PTO per month per person. Sorry, PTO, uh, uh, personal time off. So, uh, days okay, off, okay. days off, sorry. Yeah. Got days it. off. So we instituted mandatory two days off per month per person. And what that has, uh, done is it's, it's forced people to take time off. Uh, some people really appreciate and enjoy it. Other people, uh, um, you know, who might've otherwise focused their, continue to focus their energies on work. were able to take a day. We're able to take two days and get that, you know, refresh that they respectively needed. So we've, we found that people have really appreciated that we've basically done whatever we can with the assets and, uh, and, and tools that we have. Um, I'll say, I'll also say like a, a, a final thing that we've been able to do over the last few months is we, we were, we were fortunate recipients of the, of the PPP loan, uh, that the government uh, has, has provided. And so with those dollars, we've been able to, uh, uh reemploy uh, a number of, of folks and, and with the folks that were able to reemploy, uh, but not necessarily have the, 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 the client facing work for, we were able to do some, some pretty cool, some pretty cool stuff, uh, with around, um, uh, you know, adding value to the, to the community, uh, and, and, you know, the, the, those individuals respective worlds as well from a culture perspective. So. Oh, wow. Listen, I appreciate the honesty, Boris, and you didn't spin that. You just, you know, straight up, like, this is what's going on. So I really appreciate that. And I, um, respect, uh, for that. Um, you alluded to value-added things. Are you, are, is Bink Boost one of those things? Yeah. Could you say a little bit about Bink Boost? Because I, I saw that in your email signature, and it's really cool. Yeah. Bink Boost is a program where uh, we, um, we have uh, dedicated recruiters uh, engaging with uh, people in the technology industry, uh, helping them uh, with uh, a wide variety of uh, job search uh, related related items. We basically conceptualize this in um, knowing that we're going to be bringing a lot of folks back uh, to employment uh, as a result of our, our PPP uh, funds. We wanted to do something with those individuals that we thought would be would be special, unique, uh, and 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 value add. And so we conceptualized this boost program. Uh, basically, the way the way that it worked is um, we set up a page on our website uh, that allowed uh, uh, individuals to submit some information about themselves. 
And then uh, our recruiter or recruiters would reach out to those individuals, schedule 30 minute uh, boost calls uh, with those folks. And those calls would uh, cover anything like um, resume review, LinkedIn setup, uh, job search strategy, uh, interview preparation, uh, networking, connections to companies, et cetera. Um, and so at any point in time, we had you know, 10 to 15 recruiters engaging with Boost candidates. Um, and so I think in total, we ended up, we're, we're at about the tail end of the program. Uh, we ended up engaging with like maybe about 600 candidates wow. or so. Um, and it was really cool because usually recruiters interact with candidates to get them a job or to, for some purpose, there's usually some interest in engaging with that candidate. Um, what our team particularly loved about uh, participating in Boost is there was no agenda besides to help the person. And so that, that came through in the calls with, uh, with, the, with the candidates um, because the candidate also didn't have to pretend like they were trying to accomplish something by interacting with a the recruiter. They didn't have a job they were trying to get there. They just needed help and our recruiter just wanted to offer help. And so a lot of very genuine interactions, a lot of very, uh, um, you know, um, a full, full, fulfilled based interactions. We had, we had, you know, candidates, um, you know, t- tell our recruiters that they just, you know, really appreciate having someone to talk to the words of encouragement, like the littlest things in the world that our recruiters didn't even know were valuable. They found, uh, uh they, they, they found, uh, kind of a recognition appreciation for their ability to extend back and, and offer. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about boost now that the, the, now that our PPP uh, program is finishing and, um, we'll be, we'll be retiring it. We're, we're converting the boost page into just a resource page. So, um, instead of it being a form that future folks could fill out, we're going to have all the articles and all the content and all the kind of goodness that was created, uh, in that program, just live for anyone to, to visit, uh, and, and, and use at, the, at, their, at their, at their, you know, at their interest. Love it. So essentially it's pro bono consulting for people who might be in transition or who, you know, are, are looking for a job or have been affected by COVID. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's I'm cool. sure that will come back to you in terms of goodwill, if, if nothing else. We think but so. I know yeah. you weren't doing it for that, but um, yeah. uh, plus gives your team members that feel good factor as well. So that's yeah. awesome. Um, uh, so, so final, final subject, subject then is differentiation because the fact is 99.9% of recruiting firms sound the same. And the problem is that, you know, if we can't explain to a client what is unique or special about our service, then there's no way the client is going to, they're just going to assume that it's, it's all pretty much the same thing you get from one agency to another. And uh, so, but you have a different philosophy around that. Could you talk a bit about how you guys have developed a value proposition or advice for other firms? Because it's not easy, right? To... If it was easy, we would all have a clear value proposition. So what advice can you give to leaders on creating something that's real differentiation? Yeah, um, our, our, our philosophy from, from day one, from 18 years ago, was to offer, uh, we, we, had, we had two guiding philosophies. One was to offer a differentiated alternative to growing uh, technology companies. So we always wanted to offer something differentiated. So uh, we therefore always paid attention to the market in terms of whatever was considered status quo. And then our goal was to offer something differentiated from that so that uh, hiring leaders had an alternative from whatever was status quo. Um, We think that's certainly important. uh, One, to offer distinguished value. We, 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 We think status quo is something to fight against 
in, in, in perpetuity. Um, and so offering something distinguished from status quo, uh, uh, we think, you know, in, inherently offers that, that, that company, you know, a, a unique set of value. Uh, it also has like the secondary value of, um, of, you know, unique branding, unique positioning uh, for us as a company that we can benefit from for a business perspective. Um, what's interesting around the differentiation piece is, you know, the, the, the market changes, the world changes, companies' needs change, therefore status quo changes. Therefore, uh, you always have to, a, a company that values differentiation always has to, uh, uh, you know, stay focused on uh, whatever it is that the, 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 the uh, whatever it is that the market is doing so that you can continue to, to differentiate uh, in the form of offering a unique kind of value proposition. Um, when we first started out 18 years ago, our unique value proposition was very, uh, very uh, focused specialization in a very specific segment of, of, of the market. We only placed Siebel consultants. Uh, we only placed uh, uh, enterprise implementation consultants. So we're, we're very specific around what we did. And we were very disciplined around saying no to anything that wasn't that. And that helped kind of strengthen whatever it was that, that, that our differentiated approach was. And then, you know, as the market developed, you know, for the last few years, our differentiated approach was... Uh, one, our flexible service model, and two, our, our 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 culture. We are in the process right now of defining what what it is that uh, will distinguish us in the future. It is it is un, uncertain and unclear. I can't pitch you on what our future value proposition is. Uh, we'll have to do a part two uh, to the to the podcast. Um, Sounds so good. Still in development. Sounds right good. Now. But what it what's the sort of thought process though that you would go that you will go through to evolve your your value proposition to the next. Uh, the next iteration. Yeah. You, um, I can't say it's like an overly deliberate, I could probably come up with an overly deliberate strategy, but you know, the, the, in, in general, you have to, you have to acknowledge what it is that the market wants. You have to acknowledge what it is that, uh, uh, other people in the market are, are already doing that fits what the market wants. You have to acknowledge what your assets are. So like, what do you have? Uh, and for us, like we have a great client portfolio, we have a great team, we have, we have, we have, we have a number of assets, every company has, has, has assets. Um, and then from those assets, you have to then go through a very creative exercise to explore how you could position your assets in order to offer what the market wants, but that no one else is offering. And, and through that, you kind of land on something distinguished and then, and then you test it. And if the market likes it, then, 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 it, then, it, then it works. I love it. And, and I will take you up on doing a part two, uh, Boris, for sure. Uh, meanwhile, I actually have a, a webinar on how to differentiate your recruiting service. I can't remember the website address, but I'll put a link in the, in the show notes if everyone, anyone wants to, uh, wants to check that out. So listen, to find out more about Bing Search, it's B-I-N-C-Search.com. Uh, Boris, thank you so much. This has been really enjoyable, interesting conversation. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, it's been great, great, great connecting, uh, great going down memory lane, and you know, crystallizing some 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 of these very real, real, real thoughts and, and experiences that we're that we're living through right now. All right, well, thank you, sir, and uh, I look forward to it to next time. Yeah, you as well. Have a good one, Mark. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.